Well, hello, hello there. It's John here. I've been on vacation, but I took a little break from that vacation to record this special interview for you from James Altucher, where we dive into how to start a personal brand that actually matters in today's world, how to grow your following, and how to actually affect people in a meaningful way. If you've ever had the desire to to build a brand, to spread your message, to spread your story, then this could possibly be a life-changing interview for you because we took a deep dive into everything from when you should start a personal brand and when it's actually just self-indulgent and you're never going to get anywhere to how to grow your following and even a little bit at the end about how to monetize. So, without further ado, let's do the intro and then dive in. I'm John Morrow and this is Breakthrough the Noise. A podcast about rising above all the noise out there, all the endless ads and content and notification and get people to pay attention to you. Not just for a moment, not just for one poster video, on this podcast, you'll learn how to create lifelong fans who hang on your every word so you never have to break through the noise again. All right. And uh, what I'd like to talk about is uh, give some advice to people that are wanting to start a personal brand. You know, it's so interesting when you ask, like, how to start a personal brand, like, John, let me ask you this just real briefly. Like when you think of a brand, what's the first brand that comes to mind? Like a big company brand, for instance. It is. It is. And I, I read your post on this and I wanted to ask you about it. Like, yeah. like okay, you mentioned Coke was yeah, like, like the one that came to mind for you. Right. When I think about the Coke brand, I think these great commercials, like I'd like to bring the world to Coke. I think all these pictures of people having a party, drinking Coke, and, and that's not really a drink of liquid. That's a party. It's a video about a party. And so I always think, I always am uncomfortable with the word brand because it feels like a way of trying to tell people you're something that you aren't. So to, to persuade them to buy something that's not quite honest. So instead of saying, hey, we're just a great tasting drink, they say, we're also, if you drink Coke, you're going to have lots of friends and have a party all the time. And so when it comes to personal brand, I always think it's really important to just be as authentic as possible, to make sure that whatever it is you're saying about yourself matches who you really are. And you know, presumably, you might have some vision of what's important to you in the world. Like you might say, well, giving back and, and being charitable is important to you. And so I want to really express that in my message about who I am and, and in the articles I write and, and in the life I lead and, and, and the life I, I demonstrate to, to my children and, and readers and so on. So that might be something that, that's really important to you, but which is what I feel is what a personal brand should be and what I hope it is. But at the same time, I feel a lot of people focus on that word personal brand to basically express, well, I'm not sure yet who I am, but I want to be popular on, <laughs> with my blogs. So I better start saying, well, I think 
Bernie Sanders is this. And, and, you know, it doesn't come across as authentic. Or I think you should work really hard in entrepreneurship and you'll have a happy life. When that might not be true or you might not have enough experience to know, but you're building a, you want to be a, a personal coach. So you're building a coaching brand, even if you might not know everything yet about what it takes. So it's really two questions. One is, what is your personal brand? What, what do you feel really strongly about? What, what do you have a mission about? So when I started writing, pretty heavily. I mean, I've been writing all along, but when I started writing for a more general audience, I started telling my stories that, hey, I had some success in life. I was an entrepreneur. I'm still an entrepreneur. I, I do a lot of different things, but I've also really failed and I've really gone through my own set of hard times. I mean, we all have, and, and, and John, I know you've go, gone through really intense experiences. And so, so you know more than anyone really what, what I'm saying and that it's okay to admit that life is difficult, that it's okay to admit that you need to come up with ways more than knowing what the best investment is or the best you know, way to make money or whatever. It's okay to have some pain. It's okay to learn. It's okay to fail through, to learn through failure in some cases. It's okay to talk about it. You don't have to be ashamed about it. You know, it's okay to, to ask for help. And so these were messages. And by the way, it's also okay to realize Nobody else is going to help you if you don't help yourself. No one's going to help someone who's always a victim. They're going to help someone who they know is helping themselves and is a good person and is a kind person and is taking care of their, their relationships, their physical health, their creativity, their spirituality. So these were kind of messages that were important to me personally because it was the way I was living my life. Then, mm -hmm. in terms of building this message and getting this message out – the key is, is to be a good storyteller. So I don't just say, here's the three ways to build a business because who am I to tell anybody how to build a business? I have to establish that through storytelling. Mm -hmm. I have to say, well, when I was building a business, first, the first thing that happened was I didn't want to build a business. I wanted to be a writer and I accidentally got into it. And then this, this, and this happened. And these customers treated me really bad. And I didn't know what to do because I didn't know anything about business. And then I made these other mistakes. And then finally, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you tell a story that has a beginning and a middle and an end. And you, you hopefully get better and better at storytelling. And what people really relate to, not just now, not just on social media, but through all history, is how good a storyteller you can be. So... When I first started writing, people were like, "Is this? why is this guy writing about this? Is James, are you, I would get calls, James, are you about to kill yourself? Or do you have, <laughs> do you have a disease? Do you have, one, one CEO who I knew, I knew her very well. She called me and like, I heard you had a, a brain aneurysm and you're really sick. And I'm like, why, how'd you hear that? Like, that's, that's not true at all. And, but people if you're telling a good, unique story, people don't even know how to react at first, but they do know it's you. So it got to the point where I could write something and people would say in the comments, without even reading who the author was, I knew this was James Altucher. And I, and, uh, you know, and that's, and, and it just builds from there. And then, and then, so that's what, one approach is storytelling. And there's so many ways to practice it. You know, one way I enjoy, I'm always in a state of learning. I learn, John, from, from your blogs and your posts about storytelling, but there's, there's many ways, you know, people should be readers, they should write every day and, and, and so on. But then the other thing is, don't be afraid to 
do many things. So I write for five or six or seven or eight or nine different websites. I do a podcast. I express my message. Some, I'll take an article that I wrote on LinkedIn and I'll summarize the bullet points and I'll make a graphic and I'll put it on Instagram. Sometimes I'll jump around in a 15 second video and make my points and I'll put it on TikTok. So, and I also have a podcast where I express my ideas and I'm very interested in learning and how to be a better person. So I'll interview other people who are, who are my heroes and who I'm a fan of. How, John, I interviewed you for my podcast and I've been doing this for, for six years. And so, so this is what I call the spoken wheel approach. So the, the wheel is at the core that's where your, your personal vision is of how your life is and how you, you, the, the things you feel really important about, if really strongly about. That's the wheel. But a wheel has spokes that goes out to the, let's say, the tire and a bicycle or whatever. And each spoke is a different way of expressing your vision of the world. So it might be writing is one spoke. It might be books. You know, writing blog posts is one spoke. Writing books is another spoke. Making a podcast is another spoke. Making TikTok videos or YouTube videos is another spoke. Doing public talks, doing coaching, all these things are spokes of that wheel to help you express that internal core vision. Having having a, a, a core point of view about the world and how, how your life is and how people's lives could be better is, is, is that wheel. And then the spokes are all the different ways of expressing it. And the better you get at expressing it through storytelling and through mastering each part of these media, uh, the better you'll get at building what, what we've been calling a personal brand. So you've said so many different interesting things here that I'd like to break down. A Thank bit. you. Yeah. So I mean, the, the first thing is, even the definition of a personal brand or an influencer. I mean, it, it sounds like your definition of what people should aspire to if they want to get into this is sharing authentic stories in a very human way that benefit other people. Right. And so can I add to that? I think, sure. I think everybody should, um, you know, get into this. And I don't necessarily mean everybody is, should think, oh, I'm going to be an Instagram influencer and, and, and a YouTube influencer or, or make a lot of money doing this. But I think everybody should think about what are my core values? What do I feel really, really strongly about? And they'll be surprised at their answers. Like, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, climate change is a very important issue. It's an issue a lot of people very, feel very strongly about. I have opinions about it. You know, I want the world to be a cleaner place and so on. Mm -hmm. But for me also, my family is very important. Uh, my, you know, people who have gone through similar experiences to me, like, you know, financial grief and pain and suffering, like that's very depressing. Like, you know, suicidal ideation, depression, these things are very important to me. And while I don't think I can make really a big difference in climate change, I do think I can make a difference through my storytelling and through my writing and my personal experiences in helping people or at least having people hear the stories of what I've been through. That's where I feel I can make a contribution. So although I have opinions about climate change and I, I live those opinions in my life, it's not something I'm going to write about all the time and, and think I can make a difference. So when you have a real strong core point of view, 
that's where you'll really be able to make a difference and you'll have more stories to tell as well. So that's based on experience. Yes. What I hear you say. Yeah, experience. And it's also, and you get experience. So people might say, well, how do you get experience? You get experience by doing things. So you got to try and do lots of things. And that's how you figure out, you know, and, and it's not about, you, you realize pretty quickly, it's not about success or failure when I try things. It's, these are experiments. So there's the famous story, Thomas Edison, he, he was make, inventing the light bulb. He tried 10,000 different types of wires to conduct electricity. And on the 10,000, they all, they, none of them worked. 9,999 didn't work. And on the 10,000th wire that he was trying, it worked. So does that mean the first 9,999 failed? No, because he learned something on each time and that allowed him to ask himself, what went wrong? What went right? What can I learn from this? And that eventually helped him create the first light bulb. So it's every, every, everything you do is an experiment and then you kind of catalog and see, well, how did that experiment work? How did it feel to me? Did I enjoy it? Did I learn something? Did it, did I get my goals? Were my goals even correct to have? Like maybe my goals changed mid experiment, you know, and, and, and if my initial goals failed, well, what, what worked, what succeeded? I find when I think that way, I never actually fail at anything. I just learn and learn and learn. And that's, that's the key thing. One of the things that you're keying in on here that I think is really interesting is that having those experiences, having those core values, having those things that you want to share with the world is almost like a prerequisite for becoming someone who can be influential, that can yes. actually create that change. Yes, because – oh, sorry. Go ahead. But it also feels like that a lot of people who are saying that they want to build personal brands and saying they want to become influencers, they don't have any experience. Yes. They – it's almost like – I mean, I, I think it was – I read an article by Mark Manson the other day who said he, he's had doctors and lawyers come to him and say – they want to quit their practices to become an influencer. And, and he's like, why? And they say, well, you know, I, I just get on social media and I share my views. And every time I get a like or a comment, I just love it. And he's like, people are talking about changing careers based yeah. on just likes and comments. Likes and comments. And so what they're really getting addicted to is they're getting a much stronger dopamine hit, like this weird kind of, almost cocaine kind of excitement when someone likes something they say, you know, because maybe it's a, a validation they haven't experienced before. Like we're all, we all in life want our mommy and daddy to tell us we did a good job. And that's essentially social media has kind of replaced that a little bit and it feels good. And so we want more of it and it feels so good. We think, Oh my God, this is what I love doing. So I want to, I want to change my entire life. I want to throw away the 20 years I've been a doctor saving lives so I can get more Instagram likes. And you're right. It doesn't really, it doesn't really work like that because again, you have to, you have to build up. You have to, you have to tell, you have to experience things. You have to tell stories. You have to tell stories that more and more people start to say, Hey, I want, I want more of those stories. That was great. Can you give me more of that? And it just, it's a process. It's not like you're going to get a million followers day one. And, you know, I'm not even so, so sure anymore the value of a follower. Like nobody has ever come, like I have 
I have Instagram followers and I put up Instagram posts, but nobody has ever come up to me and said, James, your Instagram page has changed my life. <laughs> but, like never, no one has ever happened to me. And, but they do say, Hey, I really like that podcast you did with John Morrow. Or I really like that podcast you did with Richard Branson. And I, it really made me think, and it really made me kind of see how I was doing things either wrong or right in my life or my business or whatever. And uh, it really inspired me. Or they might say that about an article that I've spent maybe a month on where, where I really put thought into it, into the stories that I want to tell, into the, into the, per- the deeply personal things that happened to me that I'm willing to share. You know, so here's another important thing. You have to ask what's unique about you. And I find that a lot of people, they'll write the same sorts of articles and people, like if you want likes on Instagram, here's what you could do. You could put up a photo of yourself and, and in the photo you could say, hey, gratitude is 10 times better than eating carbs. And a lot of people are going to like that all of a sudden. But it doesn't really, doesn't really tell a story. It doesn't really mean anything. It's not something that people could apply. And they're not going to suddenly say, oh, I was about to eat pasta, but now I should be grateful instead. Like they're not going to do that. So, you know, again, it's when you say things that no one else is saying, like no one else was writing about business failure when I was writing about it. Nobody else was, was writing about, hey, I had to feed my two kids. I was broke after, and everyone was thinking I was super successful and I was so ashamed of what had happened and I was losing my home, losing my family. How am I going to bounce back from this? No one was saying that. No one was being so, so kind of saying these embarrassing things. I don't even hit publish on an article until I'm afraid of what people will think about me. And then, mm. because then I know that I'm saying something unique. If I'm even afraid to publish this, I know no one else has published something like this because otherwise I would have said to myself, oh, well, so-and-so did it, so it must be okay. Instead, I'm afraid every time I hit publish. And I think that was, that's a good guideline for me because it shows me where my, you know, they always say no story is original. Every story is related to stories for thousands, other stories for thousands of years. And yet you could tell stories in original ways and, and people can feel things and you can help people to feel things depending on your mastery of the medium, whether it's podcast or YouTube or writing or writing a book or whatever. And then you could say things in a unique way. You could say unique stories. You could um, be vulnerable. I find vulnerability to be kind of the currency of freedom. So the more vulnerable you are, the more actually you're able to write about things that you care about. So if I'm able to admit to things that not a lot of people are admitting to, I'm suddenly free to admit to these things compared to everyone else who can't admit to them. And so, you know, all of these things together help to build what we've been calling a personal brand, but really what we're calling a life story. Like you're, we're, you're giving your story first. It's not a career choice. It's a personal and artistic choice to give of your story and to be unique and to be vulnerable and to share with people because you want them to hear your stories. And it might be because you're altruistic, you want to help them, or it might be just because you want to tell your story, which is just as valid. If they like your story, you'll, you'll know it. And, and I agree with you. A lot of times people say, okay, well, here's how I learned about leadership. One, two, three, four, five. But again, why are you on a pedestal telling me about leadership? I want to hear the stories where you learned the hard way about leadership. Like, like I remember one time I was the CEO of a company that I had started and I was such an introvert and so shy that I used to call my secretary before I went upstairs 
and I would say to her, has anybody in the hallway? And if she said no, I would rush up stairs, I'd get in my office, and I'd lock the door <laughs> because I just didn't want to talk to anybody. And I was so terrified to talk to people. So I was like a horrible leader. And it's through experiences like that, that bit by bit, I realized, oh my God, that's why everybody quit. <laughs> or that's why I couldn't raise any more money. Or that's why this went out of business. I couldn't get any customers because I was a horrible leader. And well, then I tried this and it was a little better. So I started to get a little better at leadership, but not that much. And, and on and on, there's a, a story. Yep. So, I mean, here's what's really interesting to me. I mean, people have all different kinds of reasons for sharing their stories. And I mean, one of the things that you just talked about is vulnerability. And you've been incredibly vulnerable about all the ways you've screwed up in life. Yeah. Too much so, maybe. Well, I mean, what is your motivation? Or why did you start? Why do you do it now? Like, when you're afraid to click publish, what is it that gets you over that fear to actually do it? That's a great question because on the one hand, the motive could be altruistic, but I'm not arrogant enough to think people really need to hear my story right now. Like for me, a lot of it is I always wanted to be a writer and I've been writing since I was a kid. I write every single day. It's probably the one thing in my life I've done most consistently. Even, I don't know. I, you know what it really is? I really thought if I, I really thought I was kind of had various personal issues and I was not, a, I was insecure. I was not a good looking guy. I was not social in parties. And I really thought maybe if I write and people like my writing, they'll like me, both men and women. They'll just, I'll have more friends and people will actually like me. Yeah. And so I decided I'm going to get really good at writing. And so a lot of it is, I just want to write a good story and Writing a good story involves being vulnerable, actually having something to say that's, that's new and different and unique and has a beginning, middle, and an end, and share something in, in a way that touches people. That was important to me. Yeah. I mean, I admire there that you talk about, too, that, that it's just something you wanted to be and even something you believed. You know, I believe more people would like me. I mean, my reasons, I was just thinking, what would my reasons be? I mean... It's changed over time. When I started, it was because I was broke. And I needed some way to try to make money. And people seemed to like what I wrote. So I said, maybe I can somehow turn this into an income and I can get off of Medicaid and, and not have to be stuck in a nursing home somewhere. Yeah. Right? And that was my motivation. It was purely selfish. It's just about survival. I think that's a critical point because think about it. You, for social media, I don't like calling it social media. It started off as social networking, right? It was a way for us to one-on-one -on -one meet new people. So social, we're going to meet friends and networking. It's one-on-one. -on -one. I'm connecting with you. Now it's social media where it's somehow the media is connecting to everybody. And that's what it's turned into. But you're right. My first uses of social networking were, were to make friends and to be in a community. And I imagine for you, it was similar and for, and for vastly different reasons than, than for me. And, uh, and one way communication is important. The written word is how social networking started, whether it was texts or blogs or, you know, long form articles or whatever. And for me, it was really a way to start meeting people. The, the, the better I wrote and the more interesting things I had to say, 
the more people who would contact me and say, hey, do you want to chat? Do you want to meet? Do you want to be friends? And I met a lot of people who are my friends to this day because of, you know, these, those initial writings and, and social networking and so on. I met you that way. And I'm always very grateful for what writing and, and social networking has given me. But it's never been because, well, if I do this, I could be famous and make a lot of money and be a coach to people, even though I've never really done anything in my life. Now it's gotten to the point where I have done a few things in my life and I'm a little bit older, but I still don't say, hey, listen to me or, or you'll be wrong. It's still storytelling and people could take what they want from it. They could say, well, I, I buy into this, but I don't buy into that. Or, hey, James kind of screwed up enough. I'm not going to listen to him on this, but maybe I'll listen to him on these other things. And yes, you can make money, you, you know, getting to kind of the point of, well, what if you want to make money this way? Yeah, you can do it. And I have made money this way, but it's, it, it never was the first goal. The first goal was getting good at this new artistic medium. And the way you do that is you tell a good story, you tell your personal story, you tell your vulnerabilities, you tell the things you're afraid of. And what happens is we're all kind of afraid of similar things in one form or other. That's why we're all the same species. That's the common human condition. We have different situations in our lives. We all have things that scare us. We all have things that keep us up at night. And we all have things that we want, but we're not quite getting and we don't know why. And sharing my experience of that, you know, people say, oh yeah, that's like, it's like he's reading my mind. It's like, I've been through that. And, and I'm sure you get the same thing. And then people start to contact you. Then people start to listen to your podcast and start to listen to or read more of your writing. That feels pleasurable because you want to be an artist also and you want to be a writer and you want to, you want to connect with people and you want to help people too. So, but you're right. It did start off selfish. I really just wanted people to read these stories I was writing and, and enjoy them. Yeah, and what I think is interesting is, I mean, over time it changes. I mean, there was a time where I got obs- obsessed with the likes and the numbers. Me too. So nowadays I don't really even pay attention, but what do you feel about that? Like when you see a post going viral or something, I mean, it still is hard not to just become addicted and sit there and hit refresh over and over again to see what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is that, I mean, these brain chemicals, the same chemicals that get activated if you take a drug like cocaine or Adderall or whatever, get triggered when someone likes a Facebook post or an Instagram post or a LinkedIn blog. Like it's the exact same chemicals, dopamine in the brain. And it feels really good. And I think I did used to get too obsessed with that. Like, you know, you get this sense hey, I posted something 12 minutes ago. I should have 73 likes by now. Like you, start to, you start to calculate in your brain the formulas of your rate of expansion of likes. And, oh, you know, I had 100 or 1,000 followers yesterday. I should have 1,200 followers today. What's going on? Is the algorithm changed? Like, is Google screwing me or what's happening? And, but then after a while, you start to realize – And then there's another thing that's very important. If something does go viral or if you see a lot of likes on something, you start to feel, well, should I write more like that instead of trying to experiment further and improve your skills further? You let the audience – if you let the audience dictate too much what you're producing, you become the audience instead of the producer, uh, the creator. And so that's important to be aware of that. And and look – 
we all have that problem, or at least I have that problem. I still have that problem. Like I always have to check myself. Am I just writing this because I know this is what the audience likes, or is this what I really want to say right now in my life? And that's something I ask every day, and and it's a challenge. And I always am thinking, what do I really want to say? What new things do I want to say? Or is there a new way I can tell an old story without seeming too repetitive? Because every event in your life could be told in a hundred or a thousand different ways. So you can tell the same story twice, but you know, it's just, yeah, you just have to look at new ways to analyze it and new ways to tell it and, and so on. So, but here's the other important thing about likes and followers. I really don't think they're important anymore. Like I think the value of a follower in every medium has gone down because I think algorithms have replaced followers in terms of who sees your content. So TikTok is a great example. I put a few videos up on TikTok just to experiment. There's no harm in experimenting with with anything. So I wanted to experiment with this new social medium, TikTok. So I had zero followers, of course. I just started. And I put up a couple of videos. Some of them did zero views, which normally when you have zero followers, they should all get pretty much zero views. But one or two of them got like 100,000 views or 200,000 views. And I realized, oh, it didn't really matter how many followers I had, the algorithm was taking over for a lot of this. And I see the same thing on a lot of blogging platforms like LinkedIn and and Medium. I see a lot of the same things on Facebook and Instagram and of course on on Twitter. So I don't think followers are really that important anymore. I think the algorithm has taken over and the algorithm is determined by a little bit how good your content is, how many people are sharing it, how many people are commenting on it, how much you're engaged with it. So engagement has become a lot more important than than followers, which is interesting also. Unless you have millions and millions of followers, which in which case it's so much just the law of numbers, you're going to get some benefit from that. So when you started out doing this, and even to this day, I mean, you're incredibly prolific on all the different social platforms. If you're a beginner and you have, you have some stories and experiences and you want to go share those online, do you think social media is still a great way to to get your content out there to people? Yeah, I do. I mean, I write every single day. I used to post every single day, but then I, I now I don't, I'll post maybe like two to four times a week an, an article. And I used to do Instagram posts as much as possible, but now I've slowed that down a little bit. And I do four podcast episodes a week. So for me, I'm really, this year is about, has been about really kind of, I've been doing a podcast for six years, but now I'm really kind of, uh, you know, taking beginner's mind and just doubling down my efforts on producing podcast content and learning storytelling even better in a, in a podcast context, because you're always, you're always a student. You're never the master really. And so, yeah, I'm prolific, but a lot of it is experimenting with different media. I, I never was a big YouTube person and I love writing. It kind of saddens me a little bit that writing and blogging are, are not quite as popular as they once were because, yeah. you know, con- consumption of videos and Instagram and, and TikTok and, and, and YouTube is, is so much greater. But that's why I'm, I'm doing a little bit more with podcasting. But so I think about all these things. And I, and I think in terms of what people should start with, just whatever they enjoy, like if they enjoy taking out a camera and talking to it and they think, that they have interesting things that nobody else is doing, do it on YouTube, do it on Instagram. TikTok, by the way, is a different type of creativity because you have these music videos and things like that. It's, it's kind of, there's some amazingly creative stuff that's happening on TikTok. 
just like there was creative stuff happening on Twitter when it, when it first started and even now. And there's always creative stuff with podcasting and with writing. There's always something new to say with writing. And so, you know, experiment. You can't know something until you do something. You can't think yourself into saying, hey, I'll be great on YouTube. There's no way to think this through. You have to do it. And so that's where experimenting and trying different things and learning from your failures and from your successes, this is really how you figure that out. The more experiments you do, the better your skills will be. And, and this is a very important thing. Like people say, there's this famous rule, the 10,000 hour rule, which people say is like, oh, if you do 10,000 hours of something, you'll be the best in the world at it. But the reality is, I don't think that rule is true. I think that rule is only true for very repetitive tasks. I prefer what I call the 10,000 experiment rule, where if you experiment 10,000 times on things you love and, and want to try and, and what to do, then you'll really be the best in the world at what you love doing. If, if I do 10,000 experiments with writing, I'm going to be an amazing writer, you know, even, even better than I already am. I'm just going to be simply amazing. And it's all about uh, experimenting and then learning from those experiments. Yeah, it brings to mind one of the things I used to do when I first got started. I lived over top of a bar. And oh, really? Yeah, no, I was writing articles for a site called Copyblogger at the time. And I used to brainstorm headlines all day. And I used to write at least 100 headlines every day. And that's like 100 experiments. Yeah, right? exactly. But then what I would do is I would go down to the bar and I'd sit there and I don't even drink, but I would sit there and be reading them out loud to no one in particular. And I noticed some of the headlines when I would read them would get people to stop talking and turn around. And yeah. I, I realized that's when I've got something, but that was the way I experimented. That's a, that, so, so right. So you described two types of experiments. One is simply doing and writing different headlines that's an experiment because you feel inside yourself, oh, I'm going to try writing this headline in the second person. I'm going to try writing this headline with an exclamation point. I'm going to try writing this headline all with lowercase letters. So those are all experiments. And you look at it and you become more expert so you feel how it feels to you inside. And then what you did is you go into this bar, this kind of seemingly innocent place for experimenting, and you read out these headlines out loud, which by the way, also is an experiment. When you read a piece of text out loud, it's different than reading it in your mind. You get to see how it rolls off the tongue. Does it make sense as dialogue, as conversation? You know, does it give you the feeling viscerally that you intended it to? But then it's like the whole bar was your focus group, which is by definition an experiment. And you get to see who reacts and who doesn't. So I used to um, post like articles on Facebook. And if I got more likes and more shares, I would say, huh, that's interesting. Like if I took two articles and one got three shares and another got 300 shares, then later on when I was writing a book, I would rewrite the article that had 300 shares and make it, you know, add more stuff, make it a little more interesting because I knew that that was content that people related to. So if I included some version of that as a chapter in a book, I knew that it would hit a large, that it would, it would primarily hit a large audience as opposed to the thing that had three shares, which might've been something that was interesting to me or good writing to me, but it wasn't something that people really wanted to hear. So there was no need for me to include it in a book. And so focus grouping 
you know, you, using kind of what you have, the materials around you, what you have as a, a focus group to test out content for different uses is, is a very powerful technique, a very powerful experiment. By the way, very similar, look at the great religious texts of all time, whether it's the Bhagavad Gita from Hinduism or the Eightfold Path in, in Buddhism or the Bible in Christianity and, and, and Judaism. These are pieces of text that have been focus grouped by billions of people across thousands of years of history. So when you think about the stories that are popular now, like Star Wars, guess what? Almost beat for beat, it's the story of Jesus or Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita, because these are stories that have been focus grouped over time. So if you take those same, similar structures and apply it to science fiction, guess what? It's going to be popular. We know it's going to be popular because the same ideas have been popular for 3,000 years or 2,000 years. So it's a, another different approach to experimentation, which is how can I combine, let's say, the story of Jesus with science fiction to create a new story? That's an experiment, but it's an experiment that probably is going to it's going to do very well. So storytelling is one of those essential skills. Do you think there are any other essential skills people need to learn? Yeah, I think having a point of view about your life and life in general and having a point of view about your experiences and how you react to them. You know, there's always that, that saying that, you know, who you are is not what you've experienced in life, but who you are is how you've reacted to those experiences. And a lot of that comes from point of view, or some people call it mindset, but I like the word point of view a little better, or the phrase. But if everything that happens to you, you say, oh, something bad happening to me again, that's a point of view. If something bad happens to you and you say, you know what, I'm gonna do my best in this situation, and then I'm gonna learn from what's happening. That's a different point of view. Or you know, in, in politics, if you have a point of view that Everybody should have exactly equal opportunity all the time, no matter what their life experiences were before this. That's one point of view. If you have the point of view that, hey, we should live in a meritocracy, that's another point of view. And, you know, over time, you build up this collection of point of views that become core to who you are. And, and that gives you a voice, a real voice to speak. If you're always trying to please others, if you're always trying to pander to either fa fans or readers or family or friends or a boss, you don't have a real voice. You're kind of speaking with a weaker version of their voice, and you're, and you're trying to speak in a weaker version of their vocabulary. But instead, if you have your own point of view, you start to develop your voice, your very unique voice, and, and then, then – then it's you having the party and other people are invited to it and you can speak from that core point of view. It doesn't mean you're better than anyone else. It just means you're you. You have a core point of view. That, so like if I, could, if I speak from my core point of view and let's say, John, you disagree with something I, I'm saying, A, I'll be confident enough in what I'm saying that two things happen. One is I can address what you said. I, if you have concerns or if you disagree with me, I could try, I could address your concerns, or I'm truly confident enough, I can maybe even change my mind because I'm confident that I'm speaking from a core inside of me that's, that's me. So I'm allowed to change my mind. I'm not allowed to change my mind if I'm trying to please a million people because I have to ask the million people first what they think. But if I'm speaking from my core, 
I'm allowed to change my mind. I'm allowed to say, you know, John, that's a really great point. I didn't think of it that way. I'm going to start thinking of it that way, or I'm at least going to experiment and test that idea out. So I think it's really important not to just tell, have storytelling ability, but to also have a core point of view that your storytelling will reflect. And let's take a really topical example, Jeffrey Epstein. So this is an example. People really don't like to talk about this example because there's so much many horrifying things. It's, there's pedophilia. There's a billionaire. There's an island that the rich and elite were going to for now what seems like these weird, perverse reasons. And then he goes to jail and there's a mysterious suicide and the camera didn't work and blah, blah, blah. And so if my core point of view is, hey, I'm never going to trust the system. There's obviously a conspiracy that happened here. I'm going to ask, why did this happen? What might have happened? You know, and so on. And you say to me, James, come on. It wasn't a conspiracy. All right. We maybe have different core points of view, but we can handle it if we're both sincere about what our beliefs are. So, so if I really think everything is a conspiracy and, and people are, there's always a, a real reason and a good reason. And the media gave me the good reason, but I want to find the real reason. This might be a legitimate point of view here, but again, if I'm just trying to like, ah, I'm going to be a conspiracy theorist because I know a lot of people like to read about conspiracies, I won't really know how to analyze the situation. I won't really know how to understand what parts of this might be mysterious. What parts of this I should ask why about? What parts of this should I question and, and kind of connect the dots to all these, you know, Prince Andrew and the presidents, the various presidents, you know, having a core point of view helps you figure out what the story really is. And it doesn't even matter what it is, what, what your core point of view is, as long as it's core to you and it's strong, you'll be able to tell a good story. If your point of view is not strong, then this is not an area where you can tell a good story, even if you have great storytelling ability. That's one of the best descriptions I've heard of what oh, it you. takes to tell interesting stories. So yeah, I really appreciate that. And I totally agree with you, by the way. I mean, my point of view, one of the reasons why my, my writing has taken off online is because I have the point of view of a person who has, like, who can't move. And yeah. so I have a totally different perspective on the world. And I talk about the way that I see things. And that's a totally interesting and unique point of view out there that you don't hear every day. And so it tends to fascinate people when I tell those stories. Right. And your storytelling ability, it touches everyone. You're not just touching other people in a similar situation. You're able to kind of reach past the story, again, using this point of view, which has given up you a philosophy of life, you're able to reach past the story and find the areas of your perspective that a billion other people maybe could relate to. And that's valuable combination of valuable storytelling ability and, and a very strong point of view and sense of self. And, you know, it doesn't happen naturally. It happens through doing things, through writing over and over again and, and going through that experience of, oh, you know, look, reloading for the likes and, hey, should I write another story that I think the audience will like? And on and on and on. It's, it's just, it, I'm not going to say it requires the 10,000 hour rule because I don't believe that, but it does require some time. It requires the time needed to experiment a lot and the openness to experiment a lot and the fearlessness to experiment a lot. You have to be, you have to be fearless to try to write a story that you're really scared 
to publish because you're trying this one experiment. You, you're going to talk about yourself in the third person. You're going to admit to this horrible, horrible thing that happened to you when you were 11 years old. And, you know, there's a certain fearlessness trying these experiments, no matter what the results will be. But that's how you learn to be a better writer, a better storyteller, have a stronger point of view, and ultimately to be a better human. And it seems like those things are also what lead people to trust you, to feel like they know you, and to actually start to create the real influence where people not only listen to what you have to say, but take what you have to say very seriously. Absolutely. Because it's like I I said before, you know, vulnerability is kind of like you give vulnerability for freedom, but it's also you give for related to that, related to freedom is trust. Okay, people, you have freedom about what you're saying because now people trust that you're going, that they're in good hands when they're reading one of your stories. They're in good hands when they buy into your point of view and they're willing to go along for the ride. Vulnerability is how you quote unquote buy those things. That's the currency of freedom and trust. Nothing else is, by the way. If you give all the wisdom in the world, it is not the currency of trust. It's just you lecturing the world. But if you tell a story, it's you trading with people. It's you interacting in in this great social mesh that we're all a part of and we're all just trying to survive for as as, as long as we can. We're trying to have a good health span, a good lifespan, and a good happy span. You know, how many years of our life can we be as happy as we can be? And I mean, just to kind of wrap this up, I mean, the one last topic I want to touch on is, I mean, you generate that influence. You have these shared experiences with people. They start to take what you're doing very seriously. A lot of people then, I mean, you monetize it in some way. For me, it's mostly been courses, classes. For you, it's newsletters. By the way, monetization is also a spoke and a wheel. So the way people know you, let's say, or the way people know me is through writing and podcasting and maybe some television experiences that I've done. And so, okay, so that's the wheel. Is That's how I've created content that people can see and observe in the world. But then you have spokes. So one way to monetize is newsletters. Another way to monetize is books. Another way to monetize is creating a TV show. Another way I monetize is other investors know they can trust me, so they invite me to participate in their financial opportunities. So the bulk of my income has really come from investing because people trust me to be in their deals and I get opportunities as a result, and I'm very grateful for that. So with monetization, there's also this spoken wheel. Almost with everything you do in life, with every philosophy you have, with every approach you do, with everything you want, there's some sort of, there's a core, there's this wheel, and then there's spokes of how to either monetize it or create more or experiment more or share more or be charitable and, and so on. So yeah, it, would you say that, I mean, for you, was that spoken afterthought or was it something that you thought about from the beginning? I think it was afterthought. I really did not know what would happen because once again, like you can't think your way into knowing what happens. People are very bad at that. Nobody knows what the future is. And we make the mistake of thinking we do. We make the, think, we make the mistake of thinking, oh, I'm smart. I can figure this out. But the reality is it's very hard to do. We, it's very hard to know what's going to work and what's not, which is why experimenting is important. And trying new things, trying new experiments, trying new ideas. I'm glad I realized that. I wouldn't have realized that unless I had been through it. 
again, once again, you can only do things. You can't think your way to results. You could only do your way to results. Well, and one of the things I think would be fair to say, I mean, in your case and, and maybe even in my case too, because of all of the trust you built up with so many people over time, as long as you were selling them something they were interested in, you now had the influence with them that they would give it a try. Yes, you, you make a good point. You got to be sincere about what you're selling. You, you got to have a reason why you're selling this and you're not just trying to... Selling out is when you take all this trust that you've built up with an audience and you do this one-time transaction where you, you, you lose all the trust, but you make enough money that you think is enough to live forever. So that's a horrible way to do it. The key is you're not selling out if you're selling. And the way you continue selling is you're selling something of value and you're selling something that's helping people and you're selling something that is sincere and you're honest about. And you know that works. And again, I've learned that through experience and through the hard way. It's much nicer to make your money in private, but sometimes when you make your money in public, like with a newsletter, it's very easy for people to, to criticize and, and judge, but you learn and you learn and, and, and get better at, at dealing with, with things and, and creating things. And hopefully it all works out in the end. Well, for you, it's worked out very well. I mean, you've built a huge, a huge company around what you do. And I mean, I looked at your website. You have a ton of newsletters now. Yeah. All different kinds of things. Yeah. So. Yeah. A lot of it's like financial, financial related because I used to write, my initial writing was all about like finances and stocks and stuff, but I hated writing about that for the general public because I didn't feel that's what people needed. Nobody's life is going to change knowing what stock to buy or knowing when to buy Apple stock. But I did see that, I did see that a lot of people were buying stocks anyway and they weren't doing it right. And I had a lot of experience in this. So I wanted to help people, but I didn't, and I wanted to write, but I didn't want to write for everybody on this topic like I used to. How I did it became, you know, through a newsletter so that it kind of created a, a barrier. So it became different from my usual writing. Yes, it was a way to, to monetize it. That is, I mean, I think one of the big success stories online for people who have, I mean, there are so many people out here who have built fairly large followings, but they haven't monetized it in any yes. way. Or either they can't figure it out, or they discover they don't have any real influence is sometimes the key, the, the case. Um, right, yeah, because, because the whole, again, I think this is because the whole notion of a follower has changed. You know, you're, and so people who have even lots of followers, they actually don't really have any followers. There's no, followers don't mean anything. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the, the example I've run into several times is, I mean, any girl can get a whole bunch of followers on Instagram if she takes a whole bunch of butt pics yeah. and, and puts them up on Instagram. Right. Like but, if she takes off her clothes, she's getting followers. Yeah. But that doesn't mean she has any influence. There's probably no brand that will then come to her unless it's like a pornography brand or something that will say, okay, you know, we want want you to endorse this product or whatever it is because no influence is actually being created in that case. Right. And you could, and you could see that like the advertisers, advertisers are fairly intelligent about this. They're not going to spend money on things where they're not going to sell products. And so sometimes I'll go to a podcast I'm familiar with and I'll say, Hey, what do you charge for an advertisement? And I'll see that mine's very different from what I charge. And it's because I have a, a, a 
I don't know how to describe it, like a high demographic audience, meaning maybe my audience is filled with people who are interested in financial stuff, or maybe my audience tends to be filled with book buyers. So whatever it is, it helps me to have built a lot of trust with the audience. And I'm, I'm very happy about that. So are there any key pieces of wisdom? We, we've talked about so many different things here. And just to close up, I mean, I want to give you the opportunity. If you were going to say anything else to someone who, let's say they are doing the, the right type of, of writing creation. Let's say they really do have a strong point of view and super interesting stories. And they want to, they're going to use social media. They're going to experiment. They're going to figure out what the right channel is for them. And they're going to tell all of those stories and help lots of people. Are there any final words of wisdom you'd like to give to that person? Yeah, I would say every day, write. And maybe you're not yet a good writer, which is normal. Not everybody's a good writer right away. But every day, experiment. Like, come up with ideas. Be creative. And, you know, I always tell people, get a little pad, like a waiter's pad, and write 10 ideas a day. Mm-hmm. And people ask me, well, do they have to be good ideas? Do I then, are they business ideas? Do I keep the ideas? No, 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 no. Just write 10 simple ideas. Could be about anything. And you're just exercising the idea muscle. So the idea muscle, it's like any other muscle, it'll atrophy when you don't use it. And so you just want to come up with ideas that exercises the muscle. And within, I always tell people, with, and this is true, was true for me and it's true for a lot of people I know, after six months, you'll actually notice you're an idea machine. You're just like bursting with ideas all the time. And it's amazing. It's like a superpower. And once you start doing that, and again, people say to me, well, are they business ideas? Do you keep track? No, 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 because you're exercising the idea muscle. So as it gets better, you're going to come up with better and better ideas and you'll start to know, okay, you'll have the experience. Now, okay, I think I just came up with a good idea. And then people say, well, ideas are a dime a dozen. Execution is everything. That's not true because A, practicing that idea muscle is very important. So you're creative. Like any business starts off as a simple idea, but you have to get your idea muscle has to be good to come up with good ideas. Most idea muscles are atrophied. And then the second thing is execution. Execution ideas are just a subset of ideas. So there are, I know people who are good at executing and I know people who are bad at executing. And the difference is, is the quality of their execution ideas. So I always tell people when some idea excites you, okay, next day, maybe write down, here's 10 execution ideas. And, and then each execution ideas should be easy to try. And so you don't have to spend too much time in any one idea. So you can test easily whether the idea is going to work or not. And I do this all the time. I have ideas all the time, which I test out. By the way, almost all of them are really bad ideas. Yeah. And, but that's how I learn. I, then I come up with ways to test out, okay, is this good or bad? And then I find out very quickly, okay, that was bad. I did some execution ideas and it turned out that it was bad. And some ideas have nothing to do with business. Sometimes I'll write down 10 ideas for LinkedIn and then I might send them to LinkedIn. And lo and behold, I'll get invited to LinkedIn and hang out for a day with whoever. So I've been to LinkedIn, I've been to Facebook, I've been to Google, I've been to Twitter, I've been to Amazon, I've been to Quora, all because of just sharing ideas with them. And some good, some some bad. Or I had an idea the other day for a game. So the next day I wrote all the rules for the game. I spec'd out how I would execute the game, how I would do it. 
and I still haven't spent any time or money making the game, but I'm half the way there just because I've done, you know, this ideation and come up with execution ideas and so on. Now I know what to do next. And I keep taking bit by bit to keep taking small steps. Or I might come up with an, uh, an idea list that has nothing to do with business. Oh, 10 good ideas if I was for a first sentence, if I was writing a novel. And that just might be a way to be creative. And, and I'll never, ever write those ideas down again because I, I'm not doing a novel, so I have no use for the, that idea list. That's something I think is very important. To practice exercising your idea muscle is very important. And that's also how you develop a stronger and stronger point of view. Yep. Not everything you generate is going to be good or you're even going to do anything with. But if you're well, not generating right. new ideas, you have nothing to give people. Exactly. And, and by the way, most ideas will be really bad. Like yeah. that, and that's the thing you learn really quickly, which is a valuable thing to learn. Like most people, when they come up with an idea, they think, oh my gosh, this is my big idea. This is going to be great. But actually, most ideas that even seem really great are really bad. And that's why being good at coming up with execution ideas is a good way to test that quickly. 